Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the news. I'm kind of excited about this one. I'm excited about it partly because, as you might have heard me say before the news, I think the old man, you know, we're coming to the time of the year where a lot of, because there's so much prestige TV, critics and other cognoscenti are more and more reluctant to do kind of an end of the year list because there's too much stuff. So they do the best of the first half and the best of the second half. So I don't know, for my first half, I think my number one thing is the old man, which we will be talking about in just a few minutes. But first, we have to mourn the loss of Jimmy Kahn. It's turning into kind of overall an old man-themed episode. Uh, but uh, we, uh, we're going to um, mourn the loss of James Kahn, uh, who died on Wednesday night. Uh, and then we're going to talk about a very bad week in the Twitterverse for one Bette Midler. And just for fun, we're going to end that particular segment with James Kahn and Bette Midler singing a duet. Such things exist. Uh, and uh, then we'll do The Old Man. Who is going to do all this stuff? Uh, well, Rich Holland is a principal at CoLab, founder of Free Center, commissioner on cultural affairs for the city of Hartford. Irene Papoulis teaches writing at Trinity College. Tracy Wu Fastenberg is development officer uh, at Connecticut, uh, Connecticut Children's. They are all veteran nose panelists. They've been through the rigorous basic training with our drill instructors. Uh, they uh, know how to exploit your weaknesses. One of the things we teach them uh, as nose panelists is how to sense out the weakness of the audience and then just break the audience in half. Uh, so it might not be pleasant, but it'll be good. So, yeah, we're going to begin with James Kahn. Uh, he left us uh, on uh, on Wednesday night, as I said. And so what I asked all the nose panelists is like, okay, what's the role? What's the one or two roles for you? Because it's an odd career. It's a str- It doesn't really follow any kind of orderly progression the way, say, you could argue that Jeff Bridges' career, for example, follows kind of an interesting three-part sequence that's sort of familiar to us. But Kahn is kind of all over the map. Obviously, he has one iconic role. I'm sure we'll talk about that. In fact, Rich, why don't you get us going? What's your uh, what's your go-to James Con role or two? Okay, so clearly Sonny from uh, from The Godfather, right? I mean, that was uh, that was one of the um, one of the makings of to me of of iconic American male characters, right? Um, uh, complicated, uh, all over the place. Um, um, and uh, with this sort of brutal maleness um, that uh, um, that I find both appealing and repelling, <laughs> um, and Khan nailed it. Um, and uh, then there was this movie that has stuck in my mind um, as like this great movie that I had seen, it sits there with things like Love Story that I could not remember the plot line to save my life. Um, but I remember uh, James Kahn in Brian's story being so gripping and convincing and and sort of likable and sincere. Um, but I just really, you know, can't remember the the movie particularly well, and I think that that goes so much with uh, with James Con for me. There are so many things that I swear, yeah, that was James Con, wasn't it? And then it's like, oh no, that was actually Newman, or 
you know, that was someone else. And I think that it's because he encapsulates all of who uh, those guys were um, in the 70s and 80s um, uh, down to, you know, I think that, that we were chatting about it before, you know, my kids would only know him as, uh, as you know, the dad and elf, right? And, um, and still he encapsulates every one of the roles perfectly that like De Niro or Schwarzenegger might've played as, you know, the dad of someone in a pop comedy. You know, the, I, one thing that I've learned o- over the last few years is the history of great films is the history of people overruling really bad ideas. You know, like there's so many films that just almost didn't happen the right way because somebody had a bad idea. But then somebody overruled that. I believe Khan was originally considered and maybe even cast as Michael Corleone. Uh, and and I think it might have been Coppola who finally said, no, Michael's got to be Italian-American. <laughs> maybe maybe this guy can do Sonny. And so we have the, the film that we have. Uh, let's hear a little bit. This is a one cat. We'll hear uh, James Caan as Sonny and Robert Duvall as Tom Hagen. Hey, listen to this. The turf, he wants to talk. He got you imagine a nerve on his son of a bitch, eh? Craps out last night, he wants a meeting today. What'd he say? What did he say? He wants us to send Michael to hear the proposition. And the promise is that the deal is so good that we can't refuse, hey? What about Bruno Tatari? It's part of the deal. Bruno cancels out what they did to my father. Sonny, we ought to hear what they had to say. No, 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 no more. Not this time, Consigliere. No more meetings, no more discussions, no more Salazzo tricks. You give him one message, I want Salazzo. Now that's all out war, we go to the Some of the other families won't sit still. They hand me Salazzo. Your father would want to hear this. This is business, not personal. They shot my father. Even the shooting of your father was business, not personal, Sonny. Well, then business will have to suffer, all right? Hey, listen, do me a favor, Tom. No more advice on how to patch things up. Just help me win, please, all right? All right, I'm just grooving on that, just listening to it, and I've watched that movie ten billion times. So, um, yeah, there's, there is. I, I, what did you say? Appealing yet repellent, or something like that. That's a, yeah, whatever exactly. it is. It's yeah. exactly. And, it just nails it. And I got to tell you, Colin, I grew up on Long Island. Hmm. See, I can't even say it like a normal person on Long Island. And um, and he nails it. Yeah. He just nails all of. Um, you just put the entire island into a giant blender and you end up with uh with Sonny Corleone. <laughs> and we should say also that in the Times obit today uh it's mentioned that it was so iconic and it's just so I don't know imprinted that like he got turned down from co- at least one country club because they just considered him to be a wise guy. They thought he was a made guy. Uh and which is mind-boggling to me and apparently mind-boggling him to him too. Irene Papoulos, where do your thoughts go when we bring up uh, James Kahn? Well, I also grew up on Long Island, so I also felt that. But a bing, but a boom, it's over, right? You know, kind of thing. Um, and um, but my first thought went to misery because I just thought that that you know his role in that was so interesting, and the whole fear of women doing something like that to you is um, as manifested in his face as she does it to him. You know, was was what came to my mind. All right, so um, hang on so yeah, hang, okay. hang on to your thought for a second, uh, okay. and we'll just play a little bit of that, and then you can say a little bit more about it. Uh, here's a clip from Misery. James Kahn, of course, is Paul Sheldon. Kathy Bates is Annie Wilkes. What do you think? The phone lines will be up? Uh, I have to call my daughter, and I'd like to call my agent in New York and let her know I'm still breathing. It shouldn't be too much longer now. Once the roads are open, the phone lines will be up in no time. If you give me their numbers, I'll keep trying them for you. Thank you. Could I ask you a favor? 
I noticed in your case there's a new Paul Sheldon book, and I wondered if maybe... You want to read it? If, if you wouldn't mind. Well, I do have a very hard and fast rule as to who reads my stuff at this early stage. Only my editor, my agent, and anybody that saves me from freezing to death in a car wreck. <laughs> You'll never realize what a rare treat you've given me. Boy, it's like clockwork, the way your pain comes. I'll get you your novel, Paul. Forgive me for prattling away and making you feel all oogie. <laughs> so, Irene, you know, it's sort of interesting. I loved, what, I, I loved what you said before, too. Uh, uh, because in a way, you know, it's an inversion even of what we're going to talk about later, The Old Man, in, where Amy Brenneman winds up thinking that she's having some kind of fairly conventional relationship with somebody who's like a million times more dangerous than she could possibly have imagined. And But somehow or other, well, you should say a little bit more about misery. Yeah, well, I, I mean, the idea that, you know, I think it's, it is a male fear, you know, that even though the man is usually in charge, used to be in charge, uh, used to being in charge, um, brutal maleness, as Rich said, there's this fear that that the woman might, might mess you up, you know, and might might do something that you just can't, might trap you in some way. And that, you know, that's certainly what that movie is about. And there's, there's a there's an element of that in what we're going to talk about later. I mean, and I think it's kind of funny that the ultimate violation is I want to read your work before it's published, you know, like, no, not that anything but that, you know, and but his 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 increasing just helplessness, you know, he's not a guy that's used to being helpless and he's completely helpless because of this woman is just so great. You know, the way he brings that to life. Uh, and I loved it. All right. So, um, also, um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yes. OK, just, just I just also really quickly want to mention, you know, there's honeymoon in vegas where you know which manages to be a wholesome romantic comedy even though it's about a guy james Kahn saying you know let me take your wife for the weekend you know and um he he just i think does such a great job of being like the guy who gets it but he also has his needs you know and he 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 can embody that kind of character too with a with humor and be part of a wholesome romantic comedy at the same time, you know, which is just wonderful. Before we go to Tracy Wu Fastenberg, I'm honor bound to say that if Jonathan McPants, our producer, were on this show, he really would want to talk about Thief. I'm embarrassed that I've never seen Thief because it's a Michael Mann movie and I'm just, I'm, I'm apparently not a Michael Mann completist, but I do watch Michael Mann movies whenever I can. Uh, but so that's available, Roku Channel, Hoopla, Tubi, Canopy, Pluto TV, all those kind of weird red boxy kinds of uh, streaming channels that seem to have everything plus commercials. So Tracy, Wu Fastenberg, you're saying goodbye to Jimmy Khan. Who are you saying goodbye to? You know, it's funny because I can't say anything original on this because it was sunny for me. That was my absolutely first reaction to it. And then also misery. Um, you know, and on the flip of, of Rich, who said, you know, he thinks he sees James Khan and all these other actors. It takes me a while to realize that I'm watching James Khan in certain things later on. Like I was reminded in our thread that he is the dad from Elf. <laughs> and I never really put that connection together. I think I knew it in the back of my mind. Um, and I mentioned a terrible show that I watched for a while, Las Vegas, um, which was not a fantastic show, but James Conn was in that too as a main character. Um, and and it took me many episodes in back in the early 2000s to realize, hey, that's the same guy. 
So I feel like that in itself sort of demonstrates his his versatility where you kind of forget that it's him in certain ways too. But yeah, for me, at yeah. the end of the day, it's Sonny. I love, I love Rich's point about that. Like if you told me that James Caan is in the whole nine yards, I would believe you. But if you also told me that he's not in the whole nine yards, I would believe you. It seems completely plausible that he's in that movie somewhere. I'm pretty sure he's not, actually. It's a great movie. It's the kind of movie he does, too, where there are people who are kind of scary and funny and, as Rich says, attractive and repelling at the same time. I quickly want to do a quick shout out just because uh, my son and I were walking through Blockbuster. This is many years ago. You know, we couldn't find anything. And there was a movie called Bottle Rocket. Uh, and uh, so we just pulled it down. Nobody had ever heard of Wes Anderson. Nobody had ever heard of anybody. It had this guy, Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson. Nobody had heard of them. This movie was made for no money whatsoever. No money. Like there were people there who were like from the custodial staff of the University of Texas were in the cast because Wes Anderson knew them and liked them. But somehow or other, James Conn is in this movie. And apparently on the set, he was like teaching people stuff and all kinds of things. So uh, we're going to play a little scene here. Uh, there's a character named Bob Maplethorpe, which is sort of weird all by itself. And he has a bullying older brother who's known as Future Man, uh, played by actually another Wilson brother, Andrew Wilson. Uh, and, and Future Man is this big towering guy. James Kahn plays this small time sort of gang, you know, criminal gang leader uh, named Mr. Henry. Uh, so here's a chance meeting uh, at a country club where, in fact, the, the bullying older brother comes to find his younger brother. I'd just appreciate it if you didn't run around telling everybody lies about me. Okay, I'm sorry. I apologize. I know you have a reputation to uphold. Won't happen again. <laughs> Jonathan. Yeah. You know, Jonathan, the world needs dreamers. Excuse me? No, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, John, one day I believe that you're going to wake up and realize you no longer have a brother and you no longer have any friends. And on that day, I'm going to be standing front and center just laughing my head off. <laughs> hey, John. Oh, oh. Hey, John. Oh, man. I'm just messing around with my brother. Are we okay here? Okay, 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 okay. I hope this doesn't offend you, Bob, but your brother's a sucker. No, you? Huh? no, that didn't offend me. Okay, good. <laughs> so, I, Reen, I know you know this movie, too. But there's sort of just a way, like, what's Jimmy Kahn even doing in this movie? He must have been working for, like, 100 grand or something. But he, he's, of course, wonderful. Whatever you tell him to do, he can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. So, we're going to move from here to... I'm going to be honest and say this is the kind of story I don't like talking about because I, I, I do think... And we sort of talked about this part two, but not liking this kind of story because it's like a thing that happens on Twitter, you know, and it doesn't really happen anywhere else. I'm not convinced it's part of our lived experience. It involves movie stars and TV stars and people kind of chastising each other. Uh, but here it goes anyway, because it did turn into sort of a thing. So Bette Midler uh, begins by tweeting, women of the world, we are being stripped of our rights over our bodies our lives, and even of our name. They don't call us women anymore. They call us birthing people or menstruators or even people with vaginas. Don't let them erase you. Every human on earth owes you. I think I'm going to withhold my comments about all this. Although, let me just say one quick thing before we plunge in here, which is 
it's sort of weird. Like she's conflating two different things. One of them is, I think, the Supreme Court decision, which effectively interferes with women, women's control over their bodies. And kind of on the other end of the political spectrum, what the trans community is sometimes asking for in terms of a kind of parsing uh, about the differences between between different people and different types of people. Uh, I, I guess I can't say it any better than that, but which is too bad. Uh, but so Tracy Wu Fasterberg, can we just talk a little bit about this? What what seems to be going on here? We should say other people got involved. There was pushback. There was kind of a second middler tweet backing away from it a little bit. Linda Carter, of all people, the original Wonder Woman, got involved. Who knows why? But she was not too happy with Bette Midler. I mean, just give us kind of your sense of all this. First, let me say, I don't tweet or Twitter. I have an account. I don't think I've been on it for ages because it always seems nothing seems to end well on Twitter. Um, And I think in this case, this is a great example of it. Yes, she's absolutely conflating two different things. Um, And in that sort of losing probably what she was trying to emphasize. Um, And I think it comes down to the fact that people don't seem to understand that it's not an erasure of women, of cisgender women, um, you know, people who identify and were assigned female at birth. It's an inclusion, right? So by saying people who birth or people with uteruses, it's including all of us. I identify as a woman. That's my assigned gender at birth. I don't have a problem with this. And if folks do have a problem with it, I think, number one, take a step back. Think about it before you start tweeting it everywhere. And also, I think people who say, you know, I support trans folks, I support this, you still have your own implicit biases, you still have your own assumptions. And so in that, it's not none of it is a blanket statement, unless you can take a step back and say, hey, you know what, maybe I don't fully understand this situation. Maybe I don't can't fully put myself in somebody else's shoes. And you bristle at the fact that people are using terms that you're not familiar with. But at the end of the day, if you truly are an ally, if you truly want to support, you have to have that ability to say, okay, I may have had the best of intentions, but the impact of it is that I'm not including people, I'm hurting people. And just being able to have that sort of self-acknowledgement and self-reflection is really what's important. Um, And I think Twitter is kind of just a a poop show, honestly, and and people just react too quickly. They don't take that time to step back and sit and sit with their feelings and their thoughts. And why am I reacting this way? Why do I feel so strongly about this? And I understand women have often been a marginalized group in certain ways, but there are certain sects of women who have been more so. And so you can't take up a flag and run with it unless you really sit back and look at history. You know, and Rich, I'm also wondering if, whether even this fits into the Papulian through line of today's show about the old man. Well, Bette Miller is, isn't exactly an old man, but she's kind of an old man in this situation. And, and, yeah. and, and I am, too, in the sense that as the older you get, the harder it is to look at linguistic changes. Language does change and evolve. You know, it just does. Uh, and you have to sort of say, well, is this some kind of weird hair splitting kind of thing that's going to go away or do I have to learn it? <laughs> the older you get, the less willing you are to learn it. <laughs> so I don't know, Rich. I feel like I, I feel like she is an old man kind of when she's saying this stuff. But I, I, I indict myself similarly. Well, I, OK, so I'm going to dive into the old pool. Yeah. Um, uh, being <laughs> a, a gray haired, see, for those who have video on can tell a gray haired old man right now. Hardly, um, hardly any. Enough to be old, right? Um, so... <laughs> Uh, 
you know, I don't think language is hard, right? Mm -hmm. I think that uh, we take in new language and new information, new ideas all the time. I haven't heard anybody, you know, other than ironically call their phone that phone thingy, you know, it's a cell phone. We know what it is. We can use the language. We're adaptable beings, you know, into our old age, you know, we're capable of it. Uh, It becomes to me a question of will um uh and uh what we choose to hold on to and to the idea that um that beth was conflated that was conflating some stuff yeah absolutely uh absolutely she was conflating and i want to echo uh something you know embedded in what tracy suggested is that um conflating things says everything about the quote-unquote conflator in the moment period right you can walk your way out of this stuff anytime. Uh, but to lean into it, to like, I'm too old to adapt is dangerous. You know, it's culturally dangerous. Um, and uh, and I think that she could have adapted and I think that she could have owned it. And I think that um, she could have encouraged growth through this. Um, I have a, a trans daughter. Um, it took me all of, it took my younger kids all of, uh, one time to get her gender right. It took me five, mm-hmm. right? But I've got it right. Yeah. I think we can do it. Um, I, I have faith in us. Um, so Irene, I, I just love your reactions on this. I mean, from I should say, for me, what I didn't understand and still don't understand about Midler's tweet is, like, where is this happening that it really encroaches on her? Are people writing it on her paper cup at Starbucks, you know, menstruator wants a latte with, you know, with soy milk or something? I just, I, I'm, I'm kind of not even understanding how this plays out in the theater of life. But once again, I'm, I'm increasingly a dinosaur. Well, so am I, but I would say that I don't think she thought this out. I don't think Bette Midler is saying, oh my gosh, you know, when she said they will erase you, um, does she think, does Bette Midler think that women are being erased? I sincerely doubt it. If she, maybe she thought it for one fragment of a second. She did tweet that she wrote it on her, she wrote it after she read an op-ed in the New York Times saying that, you know, women are being erased by these phrases like menstruating people or whatever it is. And so she, I think in her mind, she conflated it with, yeah, the abortion issue. And I, 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 I want to be against, you know, the, the, I want to be for pro-choice and this is making me, you know, so she got it conflated in her mind, but then she didn't expect the pushback. You know, I, I almost felt it as a joke when I read the, when I read the tweet, because it's like, come on, it just doesn't make any sense that she would have thought this out and and had it as a hard felt view. Um, But then once she got criticized, she got really uncomfortable as people do. And that is something about Twitter that you feel like I want to be on the good team, not the bad team, the good team, as I define it, the people that I define, you know, I identify with, which is the pro-choice people. So now I have to really backpedal. I didn't really mean that. And she didn't really mean it. But it's too late because she's already been sort of stamped with the with the you know anti-trans stamp that she's going to have a really hard time getting out of. And so, in that sense, I agree with Tracy about Twitter that you have to think it out. At the same time, I love it as a forum potentially for just putting thoughts out. But I guess, especially if you're famous, you can't just put a thought out and expect that it's just going to be sort of received as like, yeah, she thought that for a second, you know, it's going to be received as something much more absolute and you can be condemned for it. So especially if you're famous, um, 
you know, I think those of us who aren't famous might be might tweet a few things sometimes and never hear of it again, you know, but yeah, you have to be careful, though. I think it should be it should be it could be a little bit, uh, you know, kind of interesting for a discussion, you know, for her to say, wait a minute, I made a mistake. I'm going to I'm going to think, you know, I need to think more about this, I think, as you said, Tracy, yeah, that that would be and Rich is saying that, too, you know, that would be fantastic. But but you know, we need more public discourse that makes sense, you know, as opposed to whose team are you on? Oh, no, I don't want to be at the wrong team. And then if people don't want to be on the wrong team, they get really defensive and their emotions take over and they're not thinking. Right. There was a way to bring this up, I think you're saying, but not this way. All right. We just to save time for yeah. the old man, we, we got to kind of wrap this thing up. We are going out of this segment with James Kahn and Bette Miller. I happen to have sung this particular arrangement of I Remember You. It's from For the Boys in 1991. Diane Maurer and I used to do it at shows. Uh, but, you know, James Kahn is actually not too bad a singer, as you will hear. Remember you. I'd like to say that you're, you're the one in who my made my dreams come true. You're usually dead a few. without a head. This is a goal. And lots of natives are picking their teeth with your bones. I remember too. Oh, what a, a dream. Distant bell. It comes at night and taunts and me. Stars that and fell. like your jokes, my it haunts me until I'm blue. blue as your face as the last breath. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. We are back. Uh, the Old Man uh, is a series running on Hulu. Uh, it stars Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow, two actors in their 70s. Uh, it also has distinctive performances from Amy Brenneman uh, and Aaliyah Shawkat and, and actually some other performances. We'll talk about some of the other people. Joel Gray is in this movie. Um, so in, in this TV series, uh, it is the story uh, of two Men who have spent years in the American intelligence service doing kind of radically different things. Lithgow is kind of a consummate company man. Uh, and uh, Jeff Bridges uh, plays a guy who's sort of a rogue a rogue operative who makes his own decisions. And I think as said in episode five, decides that he can do whatever he wants to do in any given moment. And that's how he rolls. So um, – I don't know what else to say to kind of set this thing up uh, other than maybe we should play a clip. Uh, this will be B1. This is Lithgow as Harold Harper, Jeff Bridges as Dan Chase. 
I'm watching about a half a dozen high-end contract operators fail at blending into Caledonia County Airfield, loitering around their chartered jet. Their op is not to kill you, it's to retrieve you and put you on that plane. No one will tell me where it's headed or why, but as I sit here imagining nightmare scenarios, I'm aware that with a full tank of gas, that plane can be in Kabul tomorrow afternoon without touching the ground. The nightmare scenario is that Faraz Hamzad wants to see you again. And he convinced someone in the U.S. government to make that happen. Why are you telling me this? Why are you warning me? Because the scenario is a nightmare for you, but it's pretty for me too. This story comes back to life and I'm gonna have to answer for some things that were dead and buried in the ground yesterday. Right now, I'm willing to aid and abet your escape to prevent that. Um, this is based on a novel by Thomas Perry. Uh, I should mention that Bridges going into the filming suddenly was diagnosed with a pretty advanced stage form of lymphoma uh, on, piled on top of that. He got COVID. Uh, he says that the COVID was more horrible and more terrifying than the lymphoma. Obviously, the combination would be pretty devastating. He somehow other clawed his way back from all that and finished the filming of it. Uh, but we see him in fight scenes where you know, you kind of wonder how his body is actually handling all this stuff. But so, Irene, I think uh, it's your turn to go first here. Uh, I don't know. Give me whatever kind of reaction you want to get us started with. Um, I, 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 I'm really enjoying watching it. Uh, and I, I guess I would say, and maybe I'd start by saying that the clip you played is really the sort of political thrillers, you know, FBI, what are they doing uh, kind of side of it. But there's also another side that I that's nestled inside that that I'm uh, that I'm especially enjoying, which is about loneliness uh, and and intimacy and fear and relationships and what it means to know person people and how to see into the cracks in another person and all that uh, in a way that's that I think is really interesting in spite of the fact that some of the writing, you know, I don't necessarily like, but I, the acting is just so incredibly good that it doesn't matter. You just you just go with it. And also, I just have to start to say the opening shots with that look like Edward Hopper paintings are so good. Um, this, you know, and just the way the cinematography works is really interesting. Also, so, yeah. Sorry let, to start. Let me just follow up with yeah. you for a second, though, Irene. I think it's worth saying here, like you know, Bridges and Lithgow are these just consummate, you know, actors and. And we know him from a hundred different things. I really do think the really tremendous performances here are being given by Amy Brenneman and particularly starting in episode five, which dropped last night and which some of us watched this morning because we couldn't wait. Uh, Aaliyah Shawkat, uh, I think, is also just but but Brenneman, boy, you just can't take your eyes off of her because she, she's not an intelligence agent. That we at least I, I'm convinced she's not an intelligence agent, but she's in some ways like the most interesting piece on the on the board, Irene. She's a certain type of woman that 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 um, that I feel like I live among um, in the sense that she she has a combination of real vulnerability and sort of awkwardness and also confidence. You know, she's she's a white woman with a credit card who who can get around the world. But at the same time, she when it comes, you know, there, there's a there's a level of sort of they, the, this, the awkward um, scenes between them, are, I thought, are so good. Uh, and so she has a powerfulness, but she also has a 
has a lack of power and fullness in a way that I think she just is beautiful at the way she the way she depicts it. So, yeah, Rich, uh, I know you've been watching a lot of it and we've been sharing a little bit on uh, on, on emails, but kind of give us your sense of, of how this is going for you. Oh, you're on mute. Oh, Rich, is, Rich you're, you're muted. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you Sorry. Um, I am deeply hooked into this thing. Um, it, it, without Pupulian through thread of James Caan, uh, this is all the good old men movies <laughs> packed into one and uh and it's delivering um uh in the spirit of of the old men movies there is a piece of king lear that's going on with each of the major older characters in this movie there's a piece of and you know they refer to it right which is to me the one sloppy part about this film is that they un they, they think that we're not following all of the nuances of it. So they feel like they need to put it in dialogue in a way that we get delivered the message of what's actually going on. That gets a little trying at times, but thankfully it's in the hands of such incredibly seasoned and gifted uh, uh, actors uh, that it's forgivable. Um, uh, but there's this point where uh, there's, this there's a discussion about um, that uh, Joel Gray carries very early on uh, about um, what we need to look for uh, in our last days. And if we don't end up with that, uh, the havoc uh, that our legacy becomes. And every one of these characters is dealing with that, with that kind of King Lear uh, challenge. And it's, it's wonderful to watch. Um, I think that the, uh, the writing is, is, the plot writing is tremendous. There's this device that I find is happening in this thing um, that's got me gripped in that they keep describing characters, you know, uh, in dialogue over and over again. Like there's this one Agent Waters that they keep calling an unqualified busybody. They must have called him that 12 times in this, you know, in the first couple of episodes to the point that I see him as an unqualified busybody and I suspend disbelief that that's who he is. And then suddenly something starts to shift, you know, and the sense of who we are in the audience and how we're being manipulated and to, to grow that um, to a great, uh, a greater political uh, view about who we are as people in this um, political machine uh, that's uh, that are being manipulated as well uh, is this undercurrent in this movie. And it's uh, both embarrassing uh, on one level to be taken for the ride like this, but then to recognize how complex the systems are, you know, it's also an inability to kind of forgive ourselves for uh, following along. Right. Uh, I agree with all, all, all of that, basically. The Waters guy is interesting. In, in episode five, uh, somebody tells him to take a phone call and to not push back and not ask a lot of annoying questions and stuff. And he says, you mean not be me. Uh, so even he buys into this characterization uh, of him. Uh, but, but I also agree that a lot of those sort of false advertising going on there with a lot of these characters. So Tracy Wu Fastenberg, we haven't gotten to you yet. How are you, how are you and the old man doing? The old man and I are getting along really well. Um, I actually was trying to catch up with some of episode five while I was shoveling food in my mouth before this. I didn't get through it, um, but that's how much I liked it. I didn't watch just the requisite, 
the assignments, I, I want to do the extra credit and I'll probably stick with this show because it is, it's interesting. I like the plot line. I want to see what happens. I definitely agree about some of the writing of the dialogue too. Um, and even some of the ways that they try to convey certain things about the characters. I think I mentioned, you know, some of the voicemails for a couple of them. I'm like, okay, is this how we're going to learn more about Jeff Bridges' characters about through voicemails that he's leaving for somebody who's not returning his calls? And I thought that was going to be some sort of mailing it in easy way out of getting more into his character. But they ceased that, which I'm happy about. Hmm. Um, I do think that, you know, the male characters are shown to be more um, overtly complex. You know, you have the, their backstories, you have all of their pieces and it's like, you know, grizzled um, government agency seasoned folks who have a heart and have soft sides and have this backstory of loss and whatnot. I think it's all of the female characters that have me much more interested in them themselves um, because it's not so over Amy Brenneman, um, Aaliyah Shaka, and um, even the woman who plays or the two women that play his uh, Jeff Bridges wife too. You know, I love their performances. I love how you don't get their whole story just spewed out in front of you in the first episode like you do with the two main male characters um, and the way they play it and sort of that complexity of emotion but not showing their cards um, and also navigating worlds where they have to be females you know, going back to that whole woman thing but you know there are certain roles that women are expected to play in certain situations like the divorcee or the um, more compliant wife who takes a backseat to her husband. And those come out more interestingly, I think, than anything about the male characters. Yeah. So um, Hayam uh, yeah. Abbas is, is one of the two people who plays um, Abby, the, uh, I mean, who is deceased from the beginning of the real time part of this uh, series, although she's there in all kinds of flashbacks and kind of becomes a ghostly apparition who appears in cars and talks to people and talks to Jeff Bridges anyway. Um, I just I want to play uh, um, one more clip here just so you can hear a little bit of Brenneman's performance. I do also do want to say the structure of the series is really odd uh, in that episode five, it, it kind of explains everything that you've been wondering about. It's like the exposition of the series happens in episode five. Episode five goes, oh, well, this is why that's happening. This is how so-and-so get to be this. And and it's a series of these two-hander conversations. No shots are fired. There's no action. It's just two people, you know, sometimes Lithgow and Shawcat, but really different combina- combinations of two people explaining things to one another. And it is riveting. It is so interesting. This is not from that episode, but it's kind of maybe uh, at least gives you a sense of the of the Brennan Bridges uh, exchanges. Here we go. Who taught you? I know this guy I served with. You were in the army? Yeah, a long time ago. He was a local. He told me this story that he was told as a young boy about this wise old man in his garden. This, uh, this wise old man, he never spoke. And uh, it wasn't because he couldn't or because he had nothing to say. It was because he believed that language deceived, that by his very nature it clouded the truth, so it made the world harder to know. And uh, this, this wise old man, he believed that the truth, <laughs> the truth lived only in silence. 
communicated by other means. The food he prepared from his garden, that conveyed you know, his affection, his gratitude, his indifference. Far better than any words could convey. I should have set it up by saying he's cooking a meal for her. He actually appears to be kind of a terrible cook. Uh, <laughs> I know. It was like they took the toast and got into all these little pieces. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. It was weird. No, I mean, but if you're going to yeah. watch Cooking on Hulu, watch The Bear, uh, make those recipes. Don't cook like Jeff Bridges. I actually bought San Marzano tomatoes this week because of The Bear, but that's a separate story. So I don't know. I, since Irene, you kind of have the floor here. Um, I, yeah. I, I think, you know, it, it's worth saying. I think everybody here has said it a different way, but I think we're all saying the same thing. This is very much a meditation on identity, you know, and, and how, who we are and what our names mean and, and how, how, what story, what truth and lies we tell about, tell to one another. It's as much about that as it is about some kind of, you know, Afghanistan-derived international thriller. Yeah. I, I also think it's about age. I mean, you know, and so the, 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 even just this clip that you just played is very much like sort of the, the, the strong silent type, sort of a boomer fantasy who can do anything and women will follow him because he just has all this appeal, you know, and he is that character. And especially if we know Jeff Bridges from the past, we know him as that char- character, but it's kind of about the breakdown of that, you know, like the, the, that character doesn't, you know, he doesn't have the same mojo that he used to have. Yes, he can. He's a great fighter still, you know, but there's something that that is breaking down. And that's really interesting, though. And that makes him all the more interesting how he's going to deal with that, like how he's going to respond to that. Like, I'm not always in charge. I'm not always the one. I'm not always a strong, silent type. Maybe I actually have to use some language sometimes, you know, or whatever it is. It's an interesting, a really interesting, I think. Rich, I can hear you. Rich, I can hear you yeah. uh, about to say something. So say it. Uh, no, this will be the last was- thing we say before we go to break. I was certainly agreeing uh, with Irene. It was like, mm, yeah. Um, there's also uh, this idea for me in in watching this that it's about accountability. Um, and everyone in this thing has something that they have to own up to and uh, that they need to be accountable for. And, uh, and we're willing to, and this film is willing to literally pull characters out of their seats across an ocean um uh to uh to be accountable um and, to the past uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and and to to the immediate past to, to themselves yeah um and to to minutes ago and to decades ago and yeah. um and it's this call and a reminder that accountability matters. Mm-hmm. And uh, may we take that and, and hold on to that. That's a really great point and a great place to end. We're going to stop there. Uh, we'll take a little break. We'll come back. We'll make some recommendations. Turn from the cold And away from me These hands are old Weren't ever supposed 
Time to say some thank yous. First to Cat Pastor, all these clips and songs and things like that. She's our technical producer. She's the one who makes them all happen so you can hear them. The producer of this episode pulls everything, including that stuff, together for us. To begin with is Jonathan McPants. Uh, our panel, our terrific panel, is Rich Holland, Irene Papoulis, Tracy Wu Fastenberg. They're going to make some recommendations for you. Uh, Tracy Wu Fastenberg, why don't you get us going here? So my first one is another watch, um, The Umbrella Academy, which I watched the first season of when it first came out and I blew through that. And when the second season came out, I didn't quite get as hooked as I thought I would. And and I just returned to it again and had to go straight into the third season, which was recently released. Um, It's a wonderfully diverse cast. It's fun. It's funny. um, And actually Elliot Page is in it. So you see his sort of transition of his character too, who was assigned female at birth and then transitions during the third season. And they do it in a really sort of beautiful way as well without taking away from the storyline. And I thought that it was it was well done there. Um, and my other one is actually the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving a couple of years ago um, established 29 Greater Together Community Funds across the 29 funds served in their region. Um, And each one of those are um, run by community members from each town and they distribute various amounts of grant funding. Um, And the group that runs each fund is able to determine what those guidelines are. Um, So I encourage especially smaller nonprofits or smaller organizations to look at the Hartford Foundation's page on that, check out what your town's fund um, is is doing and what their guidelines are. I happen to be on the advisory committee for the West Hartford one, and we're launching our funding cycle right now, but it's a great resource and just something that's very cool within our communities. All right, great recommendations. Irene Papoulis, how about you? Um, okay, so I have two. Else. The first one is just more Jeff Bridges. I mean, I, I've i been sort of making, this is making me want to look back at the young, you know, he's nothing like the guy that plays the young him in the show. He has much more pizzazz and um, charisma and Jagged Edge, the movie, which I remember loving so much. I'm going to go back and watch it. He was in the last picture show. Um, and, you know, and he was, yes, everyone remembers the dude, but there's also a lot of other movies he was in that's fun to look back into. Um but I also want to um, recommend a book that I've been I've been traveling a lot. I've just it's for me it's been a page turner. It's not a classic page turner. Um, it's about it's it's called A Strangeness in My Mind by Orhan Pamuk, who's a Turkish writer. So it's in translation. Um, he won the Nobel Prize, um, and it's kind of about Istanbul, but it's also about the themes we've been talking about, on which I would love: longing, aging, deterioration, being subject to political changes against your will, intimacy, friendship. And he, he's a yogurt seller in Istanbul, and things change. And it's just kind of an interesting. It's it's an interesting read if you don't mind a little a, a bit of overwriting. Um, it's called The Strangeness in My Mind. All right. Great recommendations also. Rich Holland, what have you got good for us? Yep, oh, got to unmute. Yep, 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 yep. Um, I'm going to keep with the trend and uh, go with two. Um, one is a, like Tracy's is a watch. Um, I'm going to recommend, since we've been speaking so much today about uh, dialogue and um, contrived dialogue and, you know, the intention of dialogue, to watch this great 2003 Jim Jarmusch uh, movie, uh, these vignettes called Coffee and Cigarettes. It's really pretty awesome. And uh, one of my favorite uh, moments with uh, Tom Waits and Iggy Pop just irritating the heck out of each other um, <laughs> is is worth a watch. 
you know, I think that there's a, this incredible natural flow uh, to how they move together and, you know, and how they demand space in different ways uh, <laughs> that, that is a, a, a lesson in being present. Um, along with that, uh, coming up in, in, um, in July, uh, starting this Friday, it's today, is um, Hartford Symphony Orchestra is is bring is doing the uh, Talcum Mountain Music Festival, which is pretty darn awesome all the time. In particular, there's one at the end of the month called uh, Queens of Soul, uh, where folks are uh, um, where folks are going to be covering the music of Aretha Franklin, um, uh, Patti LaBelle, uh, Tina Turner, Gladys Knight. Um, and, uh, out in the, in the open, beautiful weather. And it's, a uh, it's, a uh, Hartford must do. Woo. Perfect. All right. So I'll do two, two quick, uh, I want to build on what Irene said, have your own Jeff Bridges film festival. Um, one that's, it hasn't aged perfectly, uh, but it's sort of when I fell in love with Jeff Bridges very early on. It's called Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. It's an early Michael Cimino movie. Uh, he would, of course, go on to make The Deer Hunter. And then he and Bridges would do Heaven's Gate, which is, according to James Hanley, they still haven't found a way to cut that movie so you can watch it. It's like an unwatchable movie. But Thunderbolt and Lightfoot is a kind of nice little sort of comedy action thriller with uh, Bridges uh, and Clint Eastwood. There are essentially no women characters in it of any consequence whatsoever. It totally feels the Bechdel test, partly because, and this is evident to me even as a college boy watching this in the 70s, there's sort of a strange homoerotic thing going on between Bridges toward Eastwood. I don't know that Eastwood was even told about that by Chimino, but it's a lot of fun. As I say, there's some things that are going to be a little bit dated and not particularly correct these days, but uh, you can sort of see the beauty uh, of the young Jeff Bridges. And then I also want to quickly endorse the lyrics of Johnny Mercer, because we played that thing that I remember you think that's a Mercer lyric. There's a beauty to Johnny Mercer's lyrics. I mean, first of all, accentuate the positive. Any place I hang my hat is home. Autumn leaves, uh, blues in the night, skylark, day in, day out. Something's got to give. Days of wine and roses from the, the 40s and the 50s, basically. He wrote these amazing lyrics. And the thing that they have that a lot of lyrics don't is they kind of make sense, too. You're not going to get lost singing I Remember You because it kind of goes a certain place, come rain or come shine. You know, there, there's sort of one thought, one emotion follows another one in a very nice way. So to have a Jeff Bridges Film Festival and then have a Johnny Mercer Music Festival uh, and have a great time. Have a great weekend, even if you don't do those things. Thanks to this terrific panel. It was a wonderful nose. We will rejoin you next week. I'll meet you down on a silo across from St. Francis, past the conservatory, up the street from the seminary. You know, it's a very, very, very cool place to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> it's cozy, like a Cracker Barrel. Yeah, we'll be laughing, talking, joking. 